It's October 4th, 2006, and you're listening to the NACOcast, coming to you once again from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. My name is Christopher Millard. NEC Orchestra's performance this week of the Schubert Trout Quintet is a chance for Ottawa audiences to become reconnected with uh, a favorite Canadian musician who I'm absolutely delighted to see back in the NEC Orchestra. I'm talking about our new principal bass, Joel Corrington, and Joel is sitting with me in the studio here. It's great to see you back here, Joel. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be here. I have to tell our audience that uh, you and I go some years back. I first met you in 1972 in the National Youth Orchestra. Yeah. We were both eager teenagers. And here we are all these years later, finally getting to work together at an extended time. It's great. Still like eager teenagers. Absolutely. You broke your bow this morning. That was a bit eager. In Meistersinger, I got, I went over the top. Did you whack it on the bass, or did you whack it on the on the music stand? I think I was pressing it down so hard that the hair flew up, flew off, <laughs> flew in my face. One of the things that has distinguished you, distinguished you in your in your career as a bass player is that you are one of the very few. I, I actually can't name another classical player in North America who tunes his bass to fifths. Now we need to explain to our audience what we're talking about. Describe to us the typical tuning of a double bass. Typical tuning from the bottom to the top is E, A, D, G. So that's fourths. Those are fourths, and they're also quite often what we call solo tuning, and that is? Oh, F sharp, B, E, A. That's the same intervals, but one tone higher. Okay, and you presumably have to make some alterations in the strings that you use if you're tightening them that much for a solo string? No, they make them, they make a, a thinner string that's designed to be tuned high like that. Because if you're tuning the, each of the strings a major second higher, it means that the instrument's under more stress and you can't use the same strings? Is that the thinking? That's correct. Plus, they'll probably blow up, just like my bow blew up. Just too much, too much tension on, <laughs> yeah. the, on the strings. Okay, that, those are the typical tunings which most bass players are used to. But, yeah. And that's the way you, you learned. Everyone, no, everyone does. But you know what I'm doing? Here with this tuning and fifth thing, it's that's actually how the bass started out. So be, before you go back there, just yeah. to start, you were tuning to, to the same as a cello, so you're doing C, G, D, and A. Is that correct? Yes. So that, of course, the first advantage that I see of that is that unlike some of the uh, bass players who have the extensions above their scroll, which allows them to play from the normal bottom note E down to a low C, mm-hmm. you're there on a C already. Is that one of the reasons why you moved this direction? That's actually why I started because those machine that the machine thing that it drives me crazy because they really they buzz and they need you have to be an engineer to operate them. What it actually is is it's a long ebony extension above the scroll that the bottom string is lengthened by what about ten inches? Yeah, and there is a a, a series of levers that are acted on by the uh, fingers by the fingers. <laughs> That you push, and so you get a me- mechanical extension of the extra three notes. Yeah, plus you have to drill a hole in the scroll so that the string goes back into the tuning gear. So your initial motivation to move to move to this tuning was to get 
down to the bottom. So talk to me about what you went through and what other uh, unexpected results have, have come to your playing. This is a huge change to, to make this, uh, this shift. Here's how it happened. I was about to go to some string orchestra engagement I had, in, and it was I think we were going to do the Art of the Fugue. My low C string, I had an extension on, and it was buzzing again, and always buzzing in my ear, you know, and so it, it drove me crazy, and I took it off, and I got a special low C string, and I stuck it on the bass. And then that was great, except that the next string up was an A. That's a major sixth away. Mm-hmm. Too much. So I tuned it down to a G, so then I had C, G, D, and then why not screw everything up and put the top one to an A, which is what I did. And I went to the the job thinking, you know, I don't have an extension and I'm going to be able to play all the notes. And um, what I wasn't prepared for was that for the first time in my life, I was going into a rehearsal with other string players. And in because I'm in fifths, I had a different context of intonation that I had never experienced before. All of a sudden, I understood what the group, um, the group A, the group intonation was, even if it wasn't exactly in tune. I mean, the the group in tune, but I could feel what people were trying to do, where the A was trying to lie. Whereas before, I thought, why do string players try and make the A so high all the time? I never understood that. You have to keep cranking up. All of a sudden, I understood why I was having so much problems in fourths, trying to play in tune with cellos in fifths. Um, And it's just this context, this point of departure. And immediately, I found my intonation with the cellos, not just better, but you know, it could be bang on. It's the, it's the distance that the fingers are separated to play, for example, from a major second. Is it a larger distance than you would have to make if you were tuning the string to a higher pitch? In other words, are all of the spatial relationships for the left hand on the fingerboard altered by this tuning? Sure. Every one of them? Yeah. So you're basically, when you took that engagement, you were making a commitment to have to teach yourself all those micromotor skills for your basic tuning, just to play one note to another. Yeah, I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but it became pretty obvious well, pretty quick, huh? Yeah, I mean, I felt that, I mean, not only was my intonation better for that, but when I went into the orchestra to try and play that way, with all the bass instruments, my intonation was better. And I think that ultimately it has to do with, I'm not very good with the mechanics of this, but I know that the lower you go, the higher up people have to bring the pitch, you know, to rather than have it expand out with the, you probably know a lot more about this than me, um, like with tuning a piano, how the extreme ends have to keep being brought in. Otherwise the math makes the octaves too big and... Hmm. The lower you go, the flatter it will get. Yeah, that's always a big challenge for anyone having their piano tuned, is finding a tuner who understands just the right amount of stretching or not stretching octaves to, so that it's pleasing. Because yeah. certainly on a piano, which, which is a compromise all the way, because we have what we call equal temperament, which doesn't quite sit with the physics of the way strings work. So it's a compromise all the way. So here you are with this, uh, the first day on this gig. How was your left hand? How was the intonation? <laughs> 
Oh, when I when I played the right notes, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Here is the thing that that was ultimately the biggest change is that bass players are mostly taught to play intonation by uh, some sort of mad, an imaginary position. I mean, I think it's a now that I've had a lot of experience uh, seeing that that's what's really happening. I mean, it couldn't be worse, but you know, it's actually done visually. It's not done by the ear. The it's you know you stay in the lowest position and you know bass players generally have confidence that it's going to be in tune because i'm staying in one position and it has to do much more with markings on the on you know on the neck where you are and it doesn't have to do with really really developing your the tuning in your head it's of, almost like you're describing with the limitations of playing with a fretted instrument Exactly. And that's what the bass in this approach is most like, a guitar or a guitar school. And the intonation is like that, too. And and I've actually observed in the years since, it, it's always interesting for me to hear a guitar play with a string quartet, for instance. There's always, a, there's always an intonation problem because mm-hmm. a fretted instrument in fourths is always going to be flatter. But I know now that with with my tuning and... We do it, you know, I know that uh, with real confidence, my ear is going to be the same as what these other bass instruments... This is so often, my, my experiences have, have been in, I don't know, in the orchestra. Uh, when I am having to follow a double bass or proceed a double bass, I have to be very careful that there's no hint of sharpness. Like when you come in in the Mahler 1 solo... You know, I was just going to mention that. But you know what, I, but I've got it together. I really do. I, I can get that note... High enough for you, you'd love it. Oh, well, I could get it low enough even for your tuning and force. So there you go. No, it's something that has been my biggest focus. We're talking about the slow movement to the funeral march in uh, Mahler's first symphony, which starts with that wonderful, evocative uh, double bass solo followed uh, by the bassoon. And it's always a problem the bassoon not sounding too much brighter when we come in. You have a bass from about 1650, don't you? It's a very early instrument. Yeah, 1630. 1630. Yeah. So how would it have been tuned? Well, my double bass uh, probably started life not as a double bass at all, but of a sort of a violone instrument, probably six strings, maybe even seven. The neck and scroll, therefore, are not original to the instrument, but if you were to see it, you'd see that my bass is, it's a long instrument, but it's its not fat. It's very thin. And it's also a very heavily carved instrument, Brescian, um, hot Brescian arching, it's called. Much more like a violin than a double bass. Most double basses of that age would have been made with a flat back and um, very heavy, very thick depth to the instrument so it's much more along the lines of a, vi- of a violin it's a it's actually a famous instrument it's, it's played in the um, Chicago Symphony immediately before I had it and before that it was with the Tuscanini NBC Orchestra uh-huh. it's got one of these sort of lineages it's a you know I'm lucky to have it but uh, I must say that I think the instrument just sprang to life with this tuning it it um, we didn't even get into the the other advantages or not I should say advant- advantages but this tuning in fifths changed so many things because all of a sudden the instrument rings like 
it rings all over the place um, and it brings the instrument to life in a way that uh, I mean it it sure was tough to relearn everything and uh, you know I tried to stop doing it I tried to give it up but it's some it was addictive and I couldn't and I had to uh, I kept I had to keep working at it till I could uh, till I was so comfortable like that's the only time I could felt I'd be able to judge whether or not it was a good approach and I although I've never forced anyone I've got a lot of students now and and acquaintances that play it the bass tune in fist like that and it's it's positively addicting and then when you're you're, you're given a bass that's tuned in force you don't want to play it because well like this student of mine said well it's like it's broken <laughs> Well, let's let our audience have a chance to hear the fruits of your labors. You've brought in some examples of, uh, of some re- recent performances. What would you like to start with? It's music for A Midsummer Night's Dream by Korn Gold. And this is the third movement, the garden scene. Let's hear it now. That was my guest, Joel Corrington, the fabulous double bass player in our new principal bass with the NAC Orchestra, performing a really interesting example of music by Korngold, of all people, who, of course, was known as a film composer. I want to get back to uh, the conversion of your instrument. I'm really interested in the whole mechanics of this. Mm -hmm. Um, It is an essential fact that almost all string instruments went through conversions around about... 1800, mm-hmm. 1810, yeah. is that when it started? Yeah. When your bass went through its conversion, it would have been at that point that you think it was converted to a four-string instrument, and do you think it went to the, f- the fifths tuning at that point? No, it definitely would have gone to um, a version of uh, fourths and fifths. Mm-hmm. I should explain that every country in Europe had their own solution to how to play a bass instrument and, and the best tuning for it. My instrument at that time in the 19th century was living in England, possibly in the collection of the great Domenico Dragonetti. Perhaps the greatest name of the romantic period for double bass. Oh, yeah, or any period. Yep. Unbelievable character. In Italy, well, in England, rather, they were, they were fascinated or seemed to be fascinated with everything Italian, so all their influence was, was Italian and especially with Dragonetti there, that whatever he said, uh, people would go for. You know, I got a little funny story about Dragonetti that, you know, he met Beethoven once, 
And uh, that happened for sure. But when he went to England, he told everybody that Beethoven wrote the recits of the Ninth Symphony for him. So whenever a performance happened in England of the Beethoven Ninth Symphony, the fourth movement began with just Dragon Eddie playing those on uh, as a solo. Uh-huh. Can you believe it? By the way, he only he played a three-string bass. He didn't really have the range to even play those. Like he would put things up an octave like willy-nilly, whatever he wanted. Yeah. The actual written notes were very very approximate and rough gut suggestion, just mm-hmm. suggestion, that's it. But, he, you know, he um, it was a sort of extortion that he would do with these concert societies. If he found out that Beethoven 9 was being performed, he would let them, he would say, well, I hear you're doing this. Well, you know, it's a solo written for me, and my fee is. <laughs> so, Very when, clever. Well, when he died, I think, uh, of course, he was beloved, but I think a lot of people were kind of happy that they wouldn't have to do that anymore. We could... Hear all the instruments play that. In Italy, um, you know, it, it all has to do with string technology, too, because gut strings would have been the the string of choice. And to get a, a gut string to sound that low a pitch, um, anything much below an A or a G, and remember, I'm talking about um, a present-day tuning going a fifth below that to a C, the string technology was not there. And the the Italians didn't even bother the facade of trying to get those low notes, and they would, they were had their instruments just as three stringed instruments. And w- I know we hear the expression "gut" all the time. What was it? What was gut? Yeah, it was cat gut. It was like from cats, horse gut, zebra gut. What animal? Yeah, what were they using? Because I don't think cat guts would be big. No, enough. no. So what what were they using? I think it must must be cow gut. Yeah, and just dried cow gut. Yeah. I read so, a, I read a recipe about how to make an A string. So did do you are there in museums still examples of some of these old strings? Yeah, they must well, be incredibly uneven, huh? Unbelievably, and and you you would when the strings were put together, they would be held in place by shellacking them, and people would play the double bass back then with gloves on because of the friction burn was so severe. No. Yes. Yes. And it wasn't because of the temperature in the hall either, huh? Or that it looked neat. No, they, wow. You know, they'd wear these. They'd wear gloves, and of course, um, you know the 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 whole technical thing called shifting, shifting your left hand to get to the next note. Ouch! That yeah. would hurt. Yeah, Joel, talking about being in agony and. <laughs> this week, the yeah. orchestra is um, featuring you in a chamber music work. Mm. Schubert's great. Trout Quintet, which I'm sure you have played countless times. Yeah. Do you have any favorite moments, and really special favorite moments, from this wonderful masterwork of the chamber music repertoire? Well, the Trout Quintet, of course, gets its name from the Trout Song, um, which is, you know, is a song about a guy going fishing and re- uh, reverting to devious means in order to catch the fish, muddying the waters and stuff. But it has a happy ending because the fish does swim away and that's all depicted in the fourth movement very um programmatical writing in this theme and variations it even when he muddies the water it's uh, all, all kinds of notes flying around in all the instruments and then at first you think the i think it's the fifth variation you think that the guy did kill the fish and there's a sort of sad 
a cello song about the dead fish. But then, whoop, everything's okay. Everyone's happy. The fish is alive. So, yeah, the fourth movement, theme and variations of the May trout the tr- quintet. May the trout live forever. We'll listen to that as we end our NACOcast for this week. Joel Corrington, our new principal double bass, thank you so much for joining me. We're looking forward to hearing your performances this week of the Schubert Trout Quintet at the NAC's subscription concerts this week. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to nacocast at gmail.com. We always look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nac.ca slash podcasts. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Just search on NACOcast. Thank you.